To whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have learned in social media and in media in general about how easy it is and how easily we can all be misled by some shrewd editing, right? If you trim a video or audio recording in just the right places, you can make it sound like or look like something that has happened that has not, right? You can shift the intention. I know some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Similar to how you can frame a story in a certain way or leave out a few lines or a detail and shift the reality. Things like the vaccine was developed rapidly or Afghanistan has always been at war. There's more to both of those stories. More enough that how we react would be changed with just a few more words. So we have readings today that are like that. Reading a few verses or chapters before or after help a lot, particularly in John, and really kind of change the whole meaning of the passage when, differently than if you have it on its own. In these John readings, which we have been reading, we've been listening to for now a couple of weeks, Jesus has fed the 5,000 with not nearly enough bread to start with, miraculous bread. He has miraculously healed the perpetually sick, inevitably sick, nothing to do about it, sick. He has invoked in response to both of those the miracle of manna, the bread that literally appeared to appear from the heavens like dew in the mornings to a starving people, providing for the hungry, wandering ancestors of the people listening to his stories, something to survive with in the wilderness. And today in John, Jesus continues, as he continues to tell these stories, it's just the next one, Shockingly, Jesus says, I am the bread of heaven. Whoever eats my flesh shall live forever. You heard it right. It is a testament to how much our imaginations frame our capacity to take in information, that we can read these words and not falter over them. I heard zero gasps in the congregation today when she read that. It's shocking. If anyone's visiting for the first time, God bless you. We're glad you're here. Um, and we're going to say something about what we just heard. It's shocking, isn't it? If any of our ancestors, and I don't know all of you, but if any of them were actual human flesh eaters, we don't tell those stories anymore, <laughs> right? We don't do that. People in the Bible did not do that. It is the definition of a taboo, never, ever. And yet, we just heard it. Elizabeth just read it, no big deal. In John, if you heard it, they are horrified. It wasn't normal. And that seems like a very good response to me. I mean, can you imagine the expression on poor Peter's face when he says at the end, to whom can we go? I don't know that he said it with any confidence at all, except maybe that they were now all in this mess a little deeper together, kind of a, here we go, what are we going to do? To be really clear, there is no eating of human flesh in Judaism, then or now. We have nothing to compare this to, no story that illustrates it, really nothing to make any sense of it. It is mystical in the classical sense. It must point to something deeper because it cannot possibly mean what it says, right? Sarah Miles writes of walking into the Church of St. Gregory of Nyssa in San Francisco and joining the circle for communion as a person intrigued but unfamiliar with Christianity. No clue at all how it works. 
seasoned journalist, question asker, meaning maker, fearless, fact chaser. She eats the bread, taking in the literal words, the body of Christ. And she says she wants more. For most of us, communion is about the history of communion for us, right? Our own history of memory and meaning forged by repetition. It's why we bring our kids to church. It is our practice of the most profound prayer for many of us, filled with memory. We are becoming the body of Christ, we say. May we become what we behold, what we consume. Behold what you are, the Lutherans say. Jesus takes us here in today's readings in John by producing bread in the wilderness, feeding that 5,000, as I said, recalling the great story of manna in the wilderness, a commonly held story of ancestry for this community, defining, right, a God close to them, a liberation from slavery, food and water from no source, everything you need from God close by, a people being formed, liberation from the powers of this world that had enslaved them, and concludes with, I am the bread of life. In me, you will be free. The returning to stories, is particularly stories of origin over and over again, to find ourselves anew, to decide who our gods are, who we will be in this time, is our path as well. Joshua says it this way, he goes all the way back, even before Abraham, right, and says, which God will be your God? There are gods of your ancestors that are not who I'm talking about. It's powerful. Everything in our heritage doesn't have to be our limitation, doesn't have to be our choice in this time. He lets them decide. He doesn't force it. He could, right? He decides. He doesn't say a wandering Aramean was our ancestor. He doesn't say you must follow our God. The story of Abraham is not invoked. He recalls that our people have done it many different ways. What do you choose today? Paul similarly says, there are forces of the spirits of evil, cosmic powers, spiritual forces that you may choose to follow. What I find intriguing about how the readings work is you might think this is about believing in difficult abstract things, in principles, right? Because of the way they're cut up, the little parts that we have, what is missing before and behind. But I think what's actually happening, what could happen, another way to think about it, is something very rooted that is about standing fully in the world we live in today, inviting them at that time to stand fully in the world that they lived in, naming the forces that separate us from love, from truth, from compassion, from freedom. It is not that the name of God was wrong in these stories. It is a clear call to what is holy and sacred, rooted and honorable, and what is evil. Now, that too might seem obvious, but again, there are huddled masses at the airfield in Kabul, right? Children's hospitals with full ICUs, governors banning the few protective measures we have against a deadly virus, playing with life and death in a muddle of what is holy and sacred, what freedom is about, who do we wish to be, who is our God, and to what will we sacrifice ourselves? What would our God have us do? Whose life, whose life matters? Today, Jesus states a truth. It matters where we cast our eyes. It matters what you love, what you desire. 
Desire Jesus like your daily bread, Jesus says of himself, like the bread that fed that wandering band of former slaves of Egypt and sustained them in the wilderness despite everything, everything pointing to the fact that they could not survive. Desire Jesus like that bread we all just ate together on the hillside, Jesus says, where there was not enough and no way to buy it, and yet we were all fed. Desire Jesus who takes us back to the very beginning, to a God who has made us for one another, from whom we emerge as a part of a whole human family, our deepest desire to be reunited, to be together. Resist the powers of this world that will tell you that the cost of your freedom is someone else's suffering. There is not enough, the world will tell you. We made this bread, someone will tell you. These evil things are the ways of this world, some say, and we have no power over them. I am the bread of life, Jesus says, the one that ties the beginning to the end and writes a through line of justice and love through history all of us in one common weave of destiny together. So let us come to this table today in this real world of suffering to once again remember the story from the very beginning and enter the mystical body of the lovers of Jesus to behold what you are and become what you receive.